0: Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In this session, we move into the second of the Beatitudes with another countercultural command from Jesus. In the last session, we talked about how the command to be poor in spirit contrasted with the spirit of the age, which said you needed to be rich in spirit. Well, the second Beatitude turned things upside down as well. God's favor is on those who mourn. Now, This is one that those listening to Jesus would have understood. Mourning, lament, is rooted at the center of the Jewish experience. Forty percent of the Psalms are laments. There's There's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. Ancient Near Eastern culture was much more dramatic about mourning than we are in this modern Western culture. I mean, we're talking they had professional mourners, you put on sackcloth and ashes. There were huge performances that revolved around what it meant to express grief and sorrow. But that's kind of unusual for today. That's unusual for today because we want to get back to a theology of praise. We want the financial systems to be on our side, and they, they usually are. We want the political systems to be on our side and they usually are. We are used to unprecedented religious and personal freedoms. We're used to an incredible level of convenience and wealth. We're, frankly, used to things going our way. We can celebrate because we've got it all together. Theologian Walter Brueggemann writes, The well-off do not expect their faith to begin in a cry. But rather in a song. They do not expect or need intrusion, but they rejoice in the stability and the durability of a world and social order that have been beneficial to them. But now, here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying that God's favor is on those people who do not have those things. God's favor is on those who mourn, those who lament, those who are broken over the brokenness of the world." I want to stop and point out here that this beatitude makes a good argument for translating the word blessed as God's favor. I've listened to some church leaders and read some Bible translations and some some books by pastors that try to simplify the beatitudes by using the word happy. And that mistranslation is built out of a theology of victory that says we're happy, we're happy, we're happy. And that we avoid grief or sorrow when we must be happy, or we must be happy even when those circumstances dictate that we mourn. When we put it, happy are those who mourn, the paradox becomes obvious. And when I envision that phrase, I envision someone who is just broken underneath and they're putting on this mask of happiness. They're covering up their sadness. That's not what Jesus is recommending. He is not recommending happiness. He is not recommending a theology of victory. When you hold to a theology of victory, you have to overlook suffering because suffering is a threat to your theological system. But when you hold a theology of lament, when you recognize and feel the weight of suffering, God's favor is upon you and your mourning leads to comfort. Even when tragedy is not our own, we must take it to be a part of ourselves. Even if we're not personally affected by this situation, we're called to be part of the cure. We're called to mourn over what breaks the heart of God. We're called to mourn over what breaks the heart of others. Paul says this in Romans, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And then the Galatians, Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, tragedy experienced alone, it's overwhelming. Tragedy experienced in community can be uplifting. To know that you are not alone is a very powerful thing and it it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't remove or undo the tragedy. But to know that someone is there with you gives you hope. In the book of Job, we give we give Job's friends frankly just a just a lot of crap for their pretty poor theology later in the book. But Early on, the first thing that we see them doing is Job is sitting in the dump. And he's covered in sackcloth and ashes. He's got boils on him. He's lost everything. He's sitting there. His life has fallen apart. And his friends come to him. They don't immediately begin to theologize. But they just sit with him. They just sit with him. Seven days, they sit with him. Job's friends, for all their flaws, are often better than us. The beatitude from Jesus calls us to lament, because it is through lament that we find supernatural comfort and deliverance. The word that's used for mourn here is not the typical one that's used in the New Testament. It's not an emotional weeping. But it's a a rational response to something that's gone wrong. It's a rational response to sin, to injustice, to oppression. It affects every fiber of one's being. God's favor is on those who recognize the brokenness of the world and respond appropriately to it. It echoes the prophet Habakkuk who begins his book by, by yelling at God. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? It's, it's, this, it's this sort of guttural cry for help, a recognition of systemic and long-standing injustices, of sins that are destroying whole people groups and nations. And, and I, I could speak, as I record this series, I could speak about any number of injustices that ravage the world today. Racial injustice, economic injustice, uh, inequality due to one's gender identity or, or sexual orientation or, or just the place they've historically lived. Uh, Economic injustice, uh, uh, creation care, and ecological injustice, the the list is endless. The bombs fall, the bullets fly, the people starve, and from, from tainted water in Flint, Michigan, to police violence in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to the starving in refugee camps in Somalia, to the sexually exploited in Thailand, to, to, to the, 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 the Uyghurs in China. We have, throughout the world, there is not a place that is unaffected by this brokenness, by this injustice, by these, this obvious nature that things are not the way they should be, and that all these things are worth mourning. God's favor is on those who cry and rage and demand an answer. How long, O Lord? God is not troubled by Habakkuk's raging. He doesn't say, don't ask that. God does not get angry that the prophet is calling him to account. Habakkuk's accusations toward God belie this close relationship with God. That God wants us to have our hearts broken, to rage over injustice. He wants us to be angry about the state of the things in the world. Because those things break his heart as well. Just as recognizing our poverty of spirit allows God's spirit to join with us, recognizing the pain and agony of injustice joins us with what God is doing in the world to correct it to heal it. This is where the healing begins, with the outworking of the community of God. Because when we are broken over sin, over injustice, over oppression, whether it's ours personally, or the world's corporately, whether it's the sin of people uh, who look like me, or whether it's the sin of, of people throughout the world... We must be broken over it and work towards fixing it. When we cry out to God for deliverance and salvation and justice, God's response is one of supernatural comfort. The Holy Spirit that indwells us, the one who comes alongside us in our poverty of spirit to make us rich and their spirit, Jesus calls that spirit the comforter. During his last meal, before his death, Jesus promises that he will give his disciples the Holy Spirit. And the word that he uses gets translated into a lot of things. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, some translations. Another helper, some translations. Another comforter, another counselor. Or my favorite translation says, another friend. The Greek word that gets translated into all of these English words is paraclete. Not not, not parakeet, that's a bird. But paraclete, para meaning beside, and kaleen meaning to call. So the the spirit is a friend, one who was called to walk alongside another. And, And it's a version of paraclete, that Jesus uses when he says those who mourn shall be comforted. Those who mourn, those who are broken over sin and injustice, they will be given the presence of the Spirit to come alongside them to comfort them. In his first ever sermon that's recorded, not this sermon, but one that was preached earlier in his ministry, he's preaching in front of his church, and and he reads these verses. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The people of Israel at the time of Jesus looked forward to the restoration of the land, to reclaim it from the Romans, to have freedom from oppression. They knew and they understood that the sin of their ancestors had led to exile, and exile had led to oppression, and their cry at this time is that God would have favor on them again, that they would be broken for their sins, both individually and corporately, for for their sins now at this time and for the sins of their ancestors and the past, and they would call out and they would mourn over these failures of their past and present. We cannot overlook this aspect of what Jesus is saying. That This is not just a personal gospel only for me and my issues where I'm sad about things that I've done. This is a gospel message for the entire world. I have to mourn, be broken over the system of sin. I have to mourn over my sinful past, this past of my ancestors. I have to mourn and call out injustice when, when I see it. I, mourning is meant to lead to action. To repentance. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly mourning is accompanied by action. It's, it's active. If, if that mourning is, if that's mourning over my sins, then it's actions to end that behavior. If it's mourning over the sins of the church, then it's actions to end that behavior. If it's mourning over the sins of a nation, then it's actions to end that behavior. Godly grief produces repentance, it creates change, it demands justice, and that leads to salvation. If I sorrow over this, it will drive me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, as the author of Hebrews writes. It will compel me to offer myself as a living sacrifice to God, as Paul says, that my nature becomes more and more like God's nature because of the Spirit indwelling inside me. Those who are disturbed by sin and injustice will receive the comfort of Lord's forgiveness and the Spirit's presence. Womanist theologian Dr. Will Gaffney said in a sermon, We are not alone in the horror engulfing the world, the waves of violence, shooting after shooting, massacre after massacre, bombing after bombing. God is active in the midst of the world's fracture. God is here with us. God is here for us. And according to God in Habakkuk 2,000 years and an unknown number of centuries ago, the healing has begun, but we can't see it yet. Not even with our prophetic vision. It is beyond us, but it is there. God's favor is upon those who mourn over sin, for they will be comforted and sanctified and cleansed. And even amid all the injustice, we can take comfort, knowing that in God's kingdom community, all things will eventually be made new.